Hey, it's Bridget and Liz, and you're listening to Dude, Dude Guess, Guess What? what? Okay. Yo, welcome. It's episode nine and we are here today uh, recording and trying to get something on the books for you guys. Um, We've got Bridget and then we've got a special guest today. Um, Her name is Nikki. Yep. Hello. So so Nikki, um, I told Liz like, as soon as I wanted to do something for autism awareness uh, month, I was like, Hey, I know this girl that I work with at, or I used to work with at chat books. And I was like, her son has autism. And I'm always like seeing her postings of things that she's doing. And I told Liz that I would really love to have Nikki on. So we're super yes. excited to have her on. Um, she's a big advocate for her son, Eric. And yeah, we're here. So thanks, Nikki, for coming on and, and having to deal with both of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited. We're excited. It's it's always like, so you're our like second, other than, I mean, I mean we talked about this last time, but Anthony, like he is Bridget's husband. Like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, he but, counts. Anthony, you do count, but like, it's different. It's like a different dynamic when you have someone else on, right? So you're our second person. Yeah. Gosh, like that's well, not related you. to us. <laughs> <laughs> Your last okay. one, I listened to that episode, Dr. Daisy. Oh, Graziano. Graziano. She uh, was amazing. I just like listened and wanted to be her best friend. She was awesome. She's great. I love her. Yeah. The, her, yeah. She did a really, really good job. I feel like Liz and I both left and we were like, we just felt like so yeah yeah I was like there was so much information and I was like how do parents do how do parents do this dude like how do you just like it's like so overwhelming sorry I'm like stuttering over my words but like there's just like so much information out there and you're like what's good what's bad like how am I gonna make this decision for my child you know anyway so came away with a lot of good a lot of good things for me to like internalize and think about for the future she had a ton of good information. And I was, I, after I listened to that, I was like, oh, I'm so glad that they had her on because she was able to break it down, like just autism in general, kind of an overview from a professional standpoint. And she yeah. did it in such a great way. So that was really good. Cause good. all I know is like the parent perspective, you know, yeah. I know, yeah. I know Eric and I know the parent perspective and just what I've learned over the last, I guess, six plus years since he was diagnosed but um it's always good to hear you know that professional side of things because they you know that's what they know and do every day so good that's good feedback I'm glad I know yeah Yeah. and we'll we'll get into the we'll get into all of that really soon with Nikki and I'm like so excited to hear more about it but first let's talk about many new shows any you watch it well, I, don't, I don't have a new show but today like literally today when I was like doing laundry and stuff um I started watching Downton Abbey like from season one I actually I've never seen that show before you me haven't? either everybody oh. tells me I need to watch it so I it was good should. I only watched two episodes because they're like an hour long and um I was like oh this is this is pretty I mean I've I've seen maybe the first like 
10 episodes like a bunch of times because I this, I always do this so let me I'll let you know when I have like given up in 10 episodes <laughs> of watching it but um I don't know it's still good but Ryan actually started watching Yellowstone today or this week well that's like a cowboy show right or something yeah I he was telling me I like I don't know I well don't know. before we got on we were telling Nikki that we were gonna um talk about some tv shows and she's like I go through my some like same ones that I go through and I am the same way but I also am like I also don't have a ton of time to watch shows like I'm so it's like oh, that's why I have no idea what is dude you know on. what I, I just realized I just thought about this this is something I've never seen before I started watching Catfish last this last week. Have you never <laughs> seen that before? No, I, it's on Hulu. Dude, that is like Anthony and I, when we were first married, watched that for, I don't even, whatever episodes were available to us, like on Netflix or whatever. It yeah, is that was so that? funny. Yes, oh my gosh, that show. I There's like, a lot going on packed into a short episode. Yeah, I'm. I'm always like, it's a guy you know? <laughs> it's, it's like this he's posing as like some like you know hot babe on the internet and then and then they meet him and they're like so you're gay right and he's like no I'm not gay I'm just teaching everyone a lesson <laughs> like okay <laughs> I yeah I really I loved that show but it always like boggles my mind how like people let it get that far without like how do you I mean, one, like, I'm not one to, like, meet some stranger on the internet and... Just me. That's how I met Ryan, so careful. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, but I'm just, like, I don't know how people just, like, how do you not know that who you're talking to is real? Like, it's just, I don't know. Yeah. It is know. kind of shocking that it goes to that extent. Well, I'm also, and like, if you're so going to let it go to that extent, why have it recorded for everyone to see yeah I get I get shocked when they're like we've been talking for three years like and you've never met you live 40 miles away from each other like that wasn't a huge red flag (laughs) 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 I think it's for people probably too that are probably just comfortable in their situation and yeah I don't know for sure wait so Bridge, did you say you're watching any shows sorry um I'm actually this is gonna sound has anybody heard of the 100 yes I gave I told you to start watching that oh really it's like this like post I don't even I don't even know how to say that apocalypse (laughs) (laughs) it's like about these like these people that are in space that like come down to like earth that's been like eradicated of people but then they find out that it hasn't been and it's just it's actually based off of a book it sounds super nerdy but it I is actually like a show yeah, yeah it's pretty good I've already is it a series yeah yeah there's probably like seven there's six or seven seasons and I've I've seen them all before but it's been like a really long time so I'm like you Nikki where I have like the shows that I've seen before and then I just like cycle through them yeah, I just keep rewatching because sometimes I feel like I'll put a show on my phone with my headphones in and I've seen it so many times I can just like set it down and still do other things. Yeah. And then I like go back and watch my favorite scenes that I listen to it. So just the the yeah. redos of, you know, the yeah. classics awesome yeah. and all yeah. that good stuff. That yeah, just because I'm like I already know what happens, like it's okay if I like miss this little right. 
Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, okay, well, should we get into it? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. All right. Okay, Nikki, um, can you just give us like a brief introduction of you, yourself, your, like, just, I don't know. Yeah, well, yeah. tell us a little about yourself, Nikki. Yeah. Well, um, I have been married for almost 12 years, it'll be 12 years in September. So we have two kids. My husband's name is Guy and he is an attorney. He um, practiced criminal defense and like family law for, I don't know, six years or something like that. And then just recently about a year ago, switched to personal injury, which is just like a mm-hmm. whole different world, but he's loving it. And we have two kids. Uh, Emery is nine. She turns 10 a week from today. And then Eric is eight. So they're 17 months apart, just a little over 17 months apart. And Emery was three months old when my husband went to law school. We went to law school in Nebraska. And then um, Eric was born during our second year there. So yeah, that's kind of our family in a nutshell. Where are you guys at now? So we're in uh, Washington State. Oh, okay. Yeah, a town called Yakima. So, oh, Yakima, Palm Springs of Washington is what they call it here. So, (laughs) yeah, we really like it though. It's been there. Our friends, um, he just like finished dental school last year, and they live there. They have three little girls. Anyway, nice. Yeah, she's from there, but um, but yeah. Wait, like so it. your husband did your husband go to Creighton? No, he went to University of Nebraska, okay. uh, Lincoln. So yeah, we were Creighton is in Nebraska. They're like it, it is in Omaha, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's what I thought. I couldn't remember. Anyway. Yeah. We love Nebraska. It was great. It's like the Midwest or the nicest people ever. But it was so far from family and everything that as soon as we graduated, we were like back to this side of everything so that was good though I've heard the midwest is like everybody's super nice and just like it's kind of like that like southern hospitality you know what I mean a little bit western hospitality bridge well midwest (laughs) yeah that's what I mean is like western hospitality everybody's like it's like the southern hospitality but not the south but in the midwest No, when we went to Oklahoma, like everybody was just like, even on our flight from like, it was Phoenix to Tulsa and everybody was just super talkative. Like the entire flight, we went to like dinner too. Well, you know what? My social anxiety and when people like want to talk to me on a plane, I'm like, I can't like headphones. (laughs) (laughs) Don't acknowledge my existence unless I'm like having a panic attack, then you can help me. (laughs) I love Oklahoma though. I will say that I live there for about a year. Your uncle or somebody lives there, right? Yeah. So I have, I have quite a bit of family actually like in Tulsa, Owasso is like between Tulsa and Bartlesville. And then I have a ton of family in Bartlesville, which honestly, if I could convince my husband to move to Bartlesville, I'd go. I loved it there so much. So you're going to love it. So cheap. So it's like, it's, and it's just, it's nice. Like I was honestly, we went and visited before we ranked it. I was pleasantly, like I was pleasantly surprised at 
just everything about it. So. Yeah, I really, really liked it there. So I hope you love it. It'll be great. Yeah. We're, yeah, I'm excited. When do you guys go? Uh, we leave on May 30th. First. Oh, yeah. Yeah. May 1st? Yeah, we pick up our, our like moving truck on the 30th and then leaving oh. the 31st. And then, yeah, I'm flying out the June 1st anyway, just to like, because <laughs> it's going to take a couple days for them to get out there. there. Yeah. So yeah. it's crazy, but I'm awesome. excited. All right. Do you want me to go first, Liz? Okay. Yeah, dude. Okay. Yeah. Get it. So, I know that, and that's the thing is like, um, you, your son has autism, I guess, like, I guess I kind of just want to know, like, a like, how did you, what led you to think that he had it or like, were, what were like the first signs and sim- like symptoms or not symptoms, signs of that he might have like, and how old was he when he was diagnosed? And I guess it's a little bit about like that. Background. His background and like yeah. your guys' story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I could literally talk for hours. So interrupt me or like divert my story <laughs> if you need to. <laughs> when I get on like autism and Eric, I could go on forever. So yeah, um, we were in would have been like our third year of law school. Um, so we were just still kind of on our own with our group of um like friends. We didn't have any family around and stuff, but um I would say it was around about 15 months old that we started to notice um, some little things. And now, now that I know a lot more, like I've educated myself and stuff a lot more over the last several years about autism, I can be like, before that time, I can maybe like think of things that might have been little red flags. I just didn't know it at the time, you know, Mm -hmm. but around 15 months, we started to notice that he kind of stopped responding to his name when you would say his name he wouldn't turn to you when you'd walk into a room you know how like most kids you your dad gets home from work or dad gets home from school and my daughter would just like run up to my husband and be so excited to see him and Eric just kind of stopped um who's very much in his own little world and um I was with him all day and so I didn't notice it as much because he's like obsessed with me and still is. So it was, it was always like he, I always got a lot of attention from him, but my husband um, was actually the first one to be like, that seems a little different. You know, he's just not responding. And um, up until that time, like Eric was hitting all the milestones that you would um, expect as far as like you go to your pediatrician's office and they want to know this and this. Mm -hmm. Um, So he was, you know, repeating words and he was, um, you know, developing those motor skills that you would expect at that age. Um, he, he would sing, like he loved the song, um, old McDonald and he would like have perfect eye contact and he would make all the animal sounds and you could stop and he would say an animal that he knew, like he'd say cow or whatever. And I have these videos of these things. And then, um, it was like, I don't know the best way I can describe it for us it was kind of like overnight he just stopped doing all those things so you would be like Eric um let's go take a bath and he used to be like bath bath and he'd be really excited 
and then it just stopped. He stopped repeating. He stopped um, saying any words. And so he just like regressed, which um, isn't how it is for all kids, but it seems like around kind of that stage in brain development around 15 to 18 months, the two years, um, a lot of kids, you start to notice those signs or that's kind of where um, those things kind of start to pop up. And so um, that's kind of with our first little like warning signs, I guess. And then what led us to really dig into it is um, we had like, we were in a tiny little apartment and we had a fire alarm go off in our building. And of course my daughter at the time is just like, what? She was like screaming and running around, you know, how you would expect any little kid to do. Mm-hmm. And Eric like did not look up from what he was doing. And Guy and I just both looked at each other like that is strange. You know, like it did not even like register register for him. Um, he was just kind of in his own little world. And so um, at that point in his life, he had actually had two sets of tubes put in his ears. And that's kind of a whole nother story because he had a lot of difficulty being on um, antibiotics and lots of different things um, for ear infections. And um, so we initially had to rule out like hearing loss. Um, initially, when we talked to the doctor about it, he was like, well, you know, it could be that he's just not hearing anything. If he did not respond to that fire alarm, maybe he has some hearing issues. And so we had to kind of rule that out first. But, um, you know, I can look back on it now. And um, prior to that 15 months, like when he was a baby, I can definitely think of a few things that would cause me concern now if I had like another child that um, really that did those things. Like he, um, he was a terrible sleeper and still is like to this day, he would sleep basically one to two hours at a time. That's Yikes. it. And I mean, like for years, that's how it was. Um, he's still not a great sleeper, um, but it's better. But I literally... Like I have not slept in what helps the eight and a half, like eight oh and a half years. Um, and then I remember um, my daughter used to like wake up when she was in a crib and she'd like instantly pop up and be like, hi, hi. And like, wait for somebody to come into the room to like greet her. Um, there would be times when Eric would be in his crib for a nap and I'd be like, he should be awake by now, you know? And I'd go in and he would just be staring at like the blinds um, and the shadows and different things, which, um, I can't remember if Dr. Graziano talked about some of those like visual stimmings and different things, but, um, that, that would have kind of tipped me off if I had another kid. So I can kind of see some of those things now that I just didn't know better at the time. Yeah. So, yeah. So then like, so you had never, like, you obviously probably kind of knew what autism was before, but you had never like, like experienced anything, like known anybody or. No, I mean, I mean, I can like kind of think back to like when I was a kid, um, which autism was not something that was like talked about or as prevalent when I was younger, but um, I can maybe think of people who I went to school with, who had some like different abilities who I can think now and be like, there's possible that they were on the spectrum or something like that. Um, Mm -hmm. But no, I knew of autism because it 
you know, we hear it or whatever. But I, I felt like when Eric was diagnosed, I knew, you know, almost nothing about it. Um, truly, I felt pretty clueless. So yeah. I was just going to ask you, so once he got the diagnosis, like, how did you guys feel? What were you like your Well, well no, reactions? I was going to ask though, like, like after this happened with like your, you guys immediately then just took him into his doctor and they did the tubes thing or the hearing thing. And then, yeah, so we ruled out. So we kind of took our concerns to his pediatrician, um, who had us fill out, you know, a bunch of the assessments and different things. Um, even more than what you would do for that age or whatever. And, um, but it was a process, but first we, yeah, we had to have like a sedated hearing test because he had some difficulties, like, um, you know, being able to understand the instructions or whatever, you know, he's so little. And so we ruled out like, um, the hearing loss and stuff. So we started the process of a formal diagnosis, um, around, about 22 months old. So just before he turned two. And um, it was probably like a two to four month process before he ever got his diagnosis. And so we took it to his pediatrician who then set us up with, we, it was in, we were in Idaho at the time we'd finished school and we were in Idaho and I don't know how it is everywhere, but there they basically set you up with a team of people to diagnose. And so we had a developmental pediatrician. Um, we had a speech pathologist, and then we also had a psychologist. And so we had to go through um, several assessments with, with each of them before the final um, diagnosis was given. So, so he was over two years old when it actually came, but you know, we were in the process for several months. Yeah. Sorry, Liz, I hijacked your question. What was your That's question? Okay. Um, just, <laughs> I just I think, was like so excited. I wanted to know more. <laughs> well, she was, Nikki was talking about feeling, she was like, they were feeling clueless. And so I just thought like, you know, I, I've talked about like, I can just imagine being like overwhelmed. So like, I guess after the diagnosis, like, how'd you guys feel? And how did, like, what were the next steps after that? Yeah, just kind of all those things. I think initially it was like just complete overwhelm and then also relief a little bit because it had been such a process at that point. Um, overwhelm because, you know, I just knew nothing about it. I had no idea what to expect. Um, autism, the way they portray it on TV is not the autism that I know now. <laughs> And mm -hmm. so, and, and, and that's the autism that, you know, in my opinion is kind of the general population. And so, um, so that was really hard for me to feel like, uh, I didn't know, I mean, we're clueless as parents anyways, like my poor kid, Emery, like, I didn't know what I was doing with her any more than yeah. I knew what I was doing with Eric, but to kind of add that in, I was just, it felt overwhelming, just like you said. Um, and then. Uh, and then a little bit of relief too, because we finally had a name to put to all the things that we were seeing, you know, and so all these things we were seeing happening and it just kind of happened so fast. Um, when the, the like milestones stopped being hit and the progress stopped being made, um, it kind of sets in a little panic and like, what, where do we go from here? And so 
getting a diagnosis was, you know, overwhelming, but it was also a sense of relief because then I felt like, okay, then I just can dig in and try to, you know, do what he needs me to do as his mm-hmm. mom. Um, but, yeah, you know, there's a lot of confusion that goes right after that, because after they give you the diagnosis, you have this whole team that helps um, bring that diagnosis to light and get everything. And then nobody really directs you from there. Um, you kind of just figure it out. And I feel like now um, there's a few more resources as I have gone through this, you know, I found people, I had a good friend um, in Idaho who had two sons that were on the spectrum. And so I was constantly like texting her, you know, what does this mean? What is sensory? What is this? Why can't I get him to eat more than this these five foods or whatever, you know? And so it was good to have a resource. And then I just dove in and just tried to learn. So you had to be really proactive after the diagnosis then for yourself. Very. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, and I think that, um, for me, that was like kind of my coping mechanism too, a little bit, you know, because I didn't know what to do. And, um, when they give you the diagnosis, you have doctors who, you know, don't really know what to tell you about what the rest of your life is going to look like. And it's, you know, they can't really tell you. And so, but some of them are not super positive about it and not super um, encouraging. And so, you know, we had people who told us like, he'll never talk, he'll never do this, he'll never do that. And so, you know, right away, that was like, and that just seems so hard, you know, and so overwhelming. And so, yeah, just kind of. Hmm. That's what I was going to ask was um, if you felt like you were given, because I know that Dr. Graziano said that um, uh, she was talking about how like there are people that either they themselves are on the spectrum or their child is on the spectrum or their spouse or whatever. And sometimes they aren't able to get into these services for months or one of them was like years at a time. Right, Liz? And so um, she was telling us too, where like she's located in Salt Lake that there, they will have um, people from Wyoming that are in like a very, like a smaller town, like have to come to Salt Lake for her services or whatever. And so I guess I was wondering like, do you feel like there was a lot of services like available, available to you or, or was it mainly self-taught kind of thing? Uh, I felt like in Idaho, we were super lucky. Um, we had just such a good team initially, especially. So right after we got the diagnosis, um, we were immediately started in occupational therapy and speech therapy. And, um, he would do that speech therapy twice a week and occupational therapy once a week. Um, and I just, I felt, I felt so fortunate. I still feel so fortunate that our initial diagnosis came there um, because we kind of lived in a smaller town. We lived in Twin Falls and we just had an inc- incredible people that, um, you know, started us out on the right path, I guess. And so um, we felt very lucky, but I know that there are people and I've experienced it later on. Like when we moved to Washington, um, 
it's been hard. There's not enough providers to provide the service for the amount of kids that are receiving this diagnosis and the amount of kids that need um, the services. There's just not. And I think that's a problem everywhere. I definitely notice it more here in Washington than I did in Idaho. So I felt super lucky that, um, you know, kind of those early intervention years, we were there in a place where um, we just had amazing uh, speech therapists and amazing occupational therapists. And, um, you know, when he got to the age where he could start developmental preschool, we were able to get him into those things. And so, um, but yeah, I know a lot of people who wait years for a diagnosis or years to get in. And it's honestly, it's just heartbreaking because when you are on your own, which I've, I've experienced that in the last couple of years since moving to Washington, um, you know, parenting in itself, like parenting in itself, neurotypical kids, like not even on the spectrum can be isolating. Like, yeah. you know, it can be hard because, you know, like even when I just had Emery, my husband was at school all day, you know, he was studying at night. Like I just kind of was on my own with like the other, you know, moms whose husbands were also studying. It can be isolating when you have a kid, um, like Eric who struggles and can't even do the, the smaller social things or those types of things. Um, it really brings your little core group down even more. So, yeah. yeah. Dang, that's, it's just so sad. And I remember too, like with Dr. Graziano, she said, you know, well, maybe Liz said this in, in the last episode, it's just sad that like people could have been on like, or I don't, not treat, I don't know if treatment plans is the right word, but like, like in therapies and services, yeah. yeah. Like a plan of getting them started on these um, outpatient services that it's like they could have been having all this help all this time. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. is hard. And, the, and you know, over COVID, like um, the numbers have gone way up with the amount of kids that are being diagnosed. You know, mm-hmm. it was like one in 53, one in 44. Last I heard one study said it was like one in 35 boys or something like that, or one in 37 boys. I mean, it was like the numbers just kept getting crazy, you know? And so you think like the number of providers isn't growing at that exponential rate. And so you have a lot of these kids who are just waiting and it's different. Like there are services in schools, which is wonderful. And Eric, um, gets both or was able to get both, but, um, you know, also, if you really don't know what you're fighting for, or you don't have that diagnosis, even getting the service in schools, let alone privately or outpatient is, it could be really hard. Yeah. yeah. So I know that you had kind of talked about how Eric went from being verbal to nonverbal, but, and I know you explained that a little bit, but is that typical in, in kids with autism or it can be. Yeah. It's hard to say. So like, there's a saying in the autism world, like when you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism because everybody is so different. Um, even like, you know, Dr. Graziano talked about the levels, like there's three levels of autism. Um, Eric falls under a level three, which is, um, you know, considered like the most highly impacted, um, level of autism or the most severe, um, 
but even kids who are also diagnosed level three or adults who are at a level three um, are very different than him. There's like too, different so. ranges in yes. level three. Yes. And even like, um, you know, that's why they call it a spectrum. Cause there's some days like there are like Eric's gross motor skills, for example, um, he can run and jump and climb like better than my daughter. <laughs> His gross motor <laughs> skills are like way above age appropriate. Whereas he still is considered nonverbal because he communicates with just a device. But um, I'm trying to remember what you asked, Bridget. Oh, uh, no, just, just about like if it was typical for kids to all right. go from being verbal to nonverbal. And like in his situation, um, will that get better or like with time or? I'm sorry, this probably sounds like such a dumb question. No, 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 it's not dumb. These are all questions that I asked. And I mean, I've still asked so many questions um, and read so many things. Um, I don't know that it's typical. I know that um, it is somewhat common for kids to hit milestones to a certain age and then whatever it is, and they don't really know, you know, what it is about that time in their brain development um, where they can kind of lose some of those things. And so... Um, so yeah, I have heard about it with a lot of other kids who they felt like, you know, mm -hmm. things kind of progressed and then just kind of stopped and then didn't progress past that. Um, there's always hope, right? So I, I feel like as a parent, um, and especially as a parent to Eric, like the, the biggest disservice I could do for him is to lose hope in his potential. And so, um, you know, will he ever get those verbal skills back? I don't know, but most importantly, it's that we give him a, a way to communicate um, what he needs as best as he can. And so that's why we use like the um, the tablet, like his speech oh, device, yeah. which you've probably seen me post about. So that's called it like an AAC device, which is, oh gosh, um, augmentative and alternate communication device, I think is what it stands yeah. for. But um, basically like back, you know, years ago before devices and tablets and things were just like commonplace, um, they used like a, they called it the PECS, like the picture exchange system. And yeah. it would just be like pictures of water and food and whatever. And then, you know, you would have a kid um, grab what they wanted and give it to you. And now um, everything is just in one little device and it literally has everything on it like and if it's not I can just program whatever I want in there like if I know he likes this certain food and it's not in there I just program it into his device That's and really so it's cool it is so awesome and we have tried a couple that there's lots of different um programs so we have one um Eric loves like iPads and tablets so we could not have just like an app and there are apps that you can just put on a regular iPad um, he would not use an app on an iPad that had access to like other games and fun things. Cause he was like, why am I going to do that when I can just watch Netflix or <laughs> whatever. And so we have like a dedicated device and the only thing it does is help him talk. Yeah. And so it's very intuitive. Like he'll press I want, and then it will go to this whole new page that will say um, to eat, to drink, to play. Um, to go and then everything you know takes you to a different page it's very yeah. intuitive of what his needs might be and mm -hmm. so um yeah that's what we use now and right now it's kind of like 
a learning process. We got it in the middle of COVID. Um, he's still very much learning how to use it. It's not conversational um, yet, but um, at least we know, like we went years not knowing when he was thirsty, not knowing mm. when he was hungry. We went years guessing like, is he upset because he's hungry? Let's give him this and that not being what he wanted, you know? And so yeah. it's really opened up um, a lot of doors for him to be able to, you know, ask for specific things. Dude, technology is so rad. It's amazing. Yeah. It really is. And thank goodness, because I just think, you know, how hard would it be to go through your whole life and have somebody just like guessing what yeah. you want? Right. And just having to accept that that's what it is. And we still have to do that a lot because sometimes he doesn't know what to ask for or, you know. Well, there's probably limitations within the, app, when, within the app, right? Yeah, like, exactly. Or his ability, that, you know, he just hasn't learned that yet. Um, and so, and we have to prompt him. Like, we'll be like, use your words. If he, you know, starts to get upset or he'll just grab my hand for years, he would just grab my hand and take me to the fridge. And that's mm -hmm. communication, you know, that is him telling me what he wants. Um, but it just makes his life a lot easier. And so we feel really lucky that he's grasped onto that. Um, not every child or adult, um, you know, has the ability to get a device or, you know, is able to, um, able to use one. So yeah. we feel really grateful there's, you know, caught onto it as much as he has so far. So, yeah. yeah. So it sounds like it's like a big learning experience and for everyone in the family. Um, yeah. I, I, my question is about, uh, your daughter, Emery, right. Um, right. how did she, like, what was her reaction to everything? Um, how is she handling all of it? Um, yeah, like how how did that all happen? Yeah, so Emery, like if you follow me on social media or like just know me in general, Emery is like this incredible like walking angel. Like she, I don't know what we did to deserve her. She's amazing. And um, they're only, like I said, 17 and a half months apart. So she was what, like four when he was diagnosed or something. Mm -hmm. Um so initially, it's not like we sat her down and explained it. Like, she just knows Eric as Eric. And um, right. that's just always how it's been, you know. As she's gotten older, um, the gap of, like, what he is capable of doing um, and, you know, his ability to communicate and that kind of thing grows. And so her her people her age or, like, Eric's age, his typical peers, um, it's more obvious the older he gets, how far behind he is in some of these developmental things. Whereas when he was little, it was like his meltdowns could pass off as tantrums. You know, like when you have a nine-year-old or eight-year-old who, um, you know, cannot go to stores because it's too hard, um, you know, that becomes very obvious, right? So mm -hmm. um, we've just been able to talk to Emery about it and she, uh, she just has a heart of gold. She is, um, so I don't know. She is a lot of things that you just can't teach little kids. Yeah. She is just naturally compassionate. She looks for ways to, um, include people who don't get included. I mean, every teacher we've ever had of hers has said to us, she cares about what people 
think. She really listens to people. She wants everybody to be involved. And that's just stuff that I don't know that we have taught her as much as she has just learned from being Eric's sister. And so um, I've said and I've heard and I've said it about Emery that if you ever wonder or want to know how to treat a child or an adult with a disability, um, watch their sibling um, because they they just love them for who they are. And so um, that's not to say that it hasn't been hard for her some ways, you know, she will often say as they get older, um, you know, I wish Eric could do this with me, or I wish that I could have like a, you know, a quote unquote normal sibling relationship. And, um, and she notices that she notices that you know, kids who have siblings that are their age, they play together. Well, Eric yeah. doesn't really play yeah. with Emery. Mm-hmm. He plays around him and he sometimes will get involved, you know. And um, so it has been hard. And, you know, Emery just learned very early on um, that, you know, our life was just a little different. Sometimes we'd go to a park and Eric would last five minutes and then we'd have to leave. And that meant that Emery would have to leave too. And so she's made a lot of sacrifices and, um, and that kind of thing. Uh, but she, she is just, she does not resent him in any way. She loves him for who he is. And, um, she's just incredible. Yeah. I strive Aww. to be more like Emery because she's I, with him. And, <laughs> yeah, and I so see sweet. that like on your Instagram, like you'll post things about her and I'm like, she just seems, I mean, I don't know her, but like, she just seems like the sweetest little kid. Like she's 10 ish. Yeah. So she turns 10 next week. Oh, that's mm-hmm. right. You said that. Yeah. Sorry. I definitely feel like, like siblings that have a sibling with a disability. Like, I just feel like they just really know how to like my husband and his brother, they have a sister that has down syndrome. Right. And she's like, low functioning like um she goes to a program like she's 20 24 25 but um she goes to like an after school program now where it's like just a bunch of kids with disabilities too like and they do like kids with autism or other um other disabilities but just even like seeing my husband and his brother because they'll do like these like programs where they like have like they do like dance recitals or like, I don't know, like just stuff. And so like, we've gone to the dance recitals to see like all these kids in it and it's cute. It's just, it's fun to see like my husband and his brother interact with kids that way in, in that kind of setting too, just because I think we can learn a lot from people like Emery, you you know what I mean? Or how to like, treat somebody that has a disability yeah definitely I think it just comes so naturally to her it doesn't um and I I see that in you know other I I know other families who have kids um with different disabilities and you always just you know I'm always so impressed with their siblings and their ability to adapt and just how they are with their sibling as well as everybody else you know so yeah yeah. yeah you know I think the whole sorry I'm just going to interject I think it's like talking about that it's like it's like you want to include them not exclude them right so totally yep exactly That's another thing too is like I know this is like kind of down the 
uh, like way, but like, how is his schooling? Like, do they, um, I know that he like goes to school, right? And then I feel like, cause I know that when we worked together, like um, he had, and sorry if I'm like. No, oh, go for it. <laughs> I know that he had like people that were assigned to him. I can't even remember like what it was called. Dr. Graziano said something. It's like a team plan or something. or Like an IEP? Yeah, yeah, that one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I just was curious, like, how has the public school system, like, helped him or, like, has it not been a good experience? Like, you know, we, again, I feel like we've been very fortunate um, to have had pretty amazing teachers. I mean, you hear kind of these, horror stories of, um, you know, kids who go through these terrible experiences in school, or they get with, um, you know, teachers who, you know, shouldn't be teaching, I guess is what I should say. It's the the best way to put it, but, um, you hear those things. And I think that kind of overshadows, um, our experience with special education in the public school system is that, um, people who work in special education, they want to be there and they want to help our kids. And so we've been very lucky that way. Um, That being said, like the school is still in a, in a big picture view, it's a business. And so they still have a budget and they still have, you know, different things that they have to accommodate as well. And my only job is my children right so I look at this whole IEP and I we go into these meetings and different things and my concern is Eric like I don't care what your budget is (laughs) I don't care what this is I need Eric to have these things right and so but I've always felt like we've had these incredible teachers and these one-on-one um who just love Eric and advocate for him and stuff um so we've been very fortunate. Uh, Eric, like I said, he is um, considered level three. So yeah. um, in his younger years, like developmental preschool and different things, um, he was physically not as difficult to handle, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, when COVID hit, Eric really struggled because he lost his schooling and he lost all his therapies and all of the things that you know, I need to tell you like occupational therapy, behavioral therapy, all those things that does not work over zoom. I don't care what anybody says. Like (laughs) it's like impossible. Like kudos (laughs) to you. If you can make it work. I was not that parent. It was a complete nightmare for me. (laughs) I was like, this sucks. And so, um, Eric, you know, he struggled and we struggled when all of those things were shut down. Everything was shut down Mm -hmm. and, um, Washington was shut down for a long time. And so, um, so there was a time where Eric got to a point where he was struggling so much. And this is when I had to leave chat books, which still makes me sad. And I like dream of the day that I get to go back. (laughs) I miss chat books. I loved it there. Um, but, uh, we had to pull him out of school because it was not working. Um, they did not have the right, um, set up for him. He requires, um, for his safety, Eric requires a one-on-one. He has to have someone with him all the time because he is um, an elopement risk, which 
um, basically he runs away. Like he kind of gets in his head that he remembered he saw a cool swing on the playground and he will do anything he can do to get, get outside. <laughs> you know, I don't know what it is. Like, An escape artist. <laughs> and really good at it. And so fast and so strong. Those gross motor skills, super on point. So um, can't tell me necessarily where he's going, but like he can get there pretty fast. And so um, he requires a one-on-one. He, he has to have someone with him all the time. Um, because of that, he has to have someone who's trained, who can, you know, understand that he needs to um, communicate in a certain way and different things. And so his schooling, um, you know, like I said, we've been very fortunate, but right now he is in a, uh, I guess, a self-contained class. Um, everybody in his class has an autism diagnosis and most of them um, require, you know, they, they're more impacted on the spectrum. They're more on the severe side of the spectrum, I guess you could say, level two to three. And so um, he does get to go out. He does go to a first grade classroom. He's in second grade. He goes to a first grade classroom um, once or twice a week for a few minutes at a time and gets to interact with, um, with you know, uh, peers around his age, neurotypical That's peers. Cool which is neat. And so, um, you know, ultimately, and Dr. Graziano talked about this, uh, like the, the ultimate goal is the least restrictive environment. So obviously we hope someday maybe Eric won't meet a one-on-one or maybe that he can spend certain hours of the day um, with, uh, you know, his neurotypical peers or whatever. Um, that is not in the cards right now or anytime soon for him. He has, he has struggled and that's just being honest about what it's been like for us the last, you know, year or two, especially with COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but school is, is good. And I, but I do feel like that's where I really came to understand, um, what it means to be an advocate because without it, he, he would not get what he needs. Yeah. So you're, you're, you're talking a lot of, like, you've been saying a lot of things about being an advocate. And I think that's super important, like for you to do that, for in, not just in this situation, but like in lots of different situations. Right. Um, but outside of school, because I, you know, we've just been talking about school. Um, what other ways do you, are you finding that you're advocating for him? Like in his treatment or like, um, I don't know, like his activities that he does, like stuff like that. Sure. Um, I think for, for a kid at Eric's level, um, it's basically everything. Like he's complete care, right? So um, I advocate to get him resources through the state and that is, you know, kind of a, like a part-time job. Yeah. I have case managers upon case managers. I am on the phone probably no exaggeration, 10 to 20 hours a week, just with the state to try to get him the things that he needs. Um, and that means like resources and funding and, um, coverage for all his therapies and different things like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's that that is where so many parents give up because you know I am so lucky that I have like this incredible husband who supports our family and that I was able to quit a job that I loved but I was able to quit my job to be able to care for him full time Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. a lot of people do not have that option single moms or um families that require two two people full time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, um, 
not everybody is that fortunate. So that's not lost on me, but, um, but yeah, I feel like advocating for his services and his, um, you know, advocating to try to set him up for his future. Mm-hmm. Um, medically, you have to advocate all the time. Like, um, and I've learned that kind of the hard way we had uh, probably two or three years ago, Eric had to go get a blood draw and he's like crazy Like wild, like, he's like, yeah, has to be restrained strong. or something. Yeah. yeah, and I went in and I like called ahead and I got a recommendation from his development pediatrician where we should go and I called ahead and explained the situation and we got in there and, you know, I drew blood like for a hospital to put myself through college. So I like told her he's not going to be able to sit and just put his arm out. Like we need to be in a private room and I kind of called ahead of time. And anyway, so they brought another person in and um I was explaining to them like hey we've had success by you know wrapping him in a sheet with one with the one arm out and everything basically like a big swaddle for this five-year-old kid Mm six-year-old kid or whatever and I just know that that's how we've done it in the past and it has worked yeah and this um phlebotomist said to me um ma'am you need to let us do our job um we do this all day every day Yeah, you need to let us do our job. And I was just, you know, I fight for it all the time and whatever. And I, I was like, okay, what, what do you want me to do? And she was like, well, if you can just hold his feet. Well, it was awful. And he got poked several times and they didn't get the blood draw. And there was like blood gushing everywhere. And I finally was like, that's enough. You and know, it probably winds him up stop. too, right? It was awful. And it was like so traumatizing for him. Mm-hmm. And um, so then I was like, that's enough, stop. And then we did it my way. And it was still hard. Like he still has to be restrained in this certain way for him. And hopefully it won't be that way his whole life, right? But um, but um, we still had to do it that once we got the blood draw, when we swaddled him the way that we do, Um, I put him, I remember putting him in his car seat and I just looked at him and looked at him and, you know, he, he, we're not, he's not conversational with me. He can't talk back to me, but his receptive language is pretty high. He understands so much more than he can say. And Mm -hmm. I remember buckling him in his car seat and saying like, I promise I will never let that happen again. Like I promise that I will stand up for you next time. And, um, so I really learned, I, I really learned then too that I you know his life is I have to advocate for him until he can advocate for himself mm-hmm. um if there ever comes a time that he's verbal enough or has the ability to tell somebody no or that that doesn't work for me or whatever it is and so there's been several times since where I've just had to say that's not going to work or I've switched doctors I've switched dentists I drive two hours to a dentist um for him and even though we have a special needs dentist here it was just not going to work for me and so I really learned to find what works for us and um and I learned I've learned to say no like that's not going to be okay for us that's not going to work and you know I am just kind of naturally a bit of a people pleaser and I've kind of gotten over that with him and and his care so yeah Yeah. I feel like I mean gosh that's just I can't even believe that that's great like even me like where like obviously like I mean Austin doesn't have like a disability 
And so I'm like, even that, like if somebody treated me like that, I'm total mama bear where <laughs> I'm like, do You're not. Like, uh, uh. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So I know this is maybe like taking a step back, but you know, I, I know like on your Instagram, you've posted photos or even just videos like of, of Eric wearing headphones. And I've always like, just been, is that, is that for like overstimulation or because I, I know, I don't know, maybe I'm totally wrong, but kids with autism do get, that's like, uh, over, like they do have that symptom of, or sign of being overstimulated. And then I know for you too, like, um, I remember you telling us, and maybe I'm just making this up in my head. Like you had like a sensory, like playground for him or like a room or something. Um, what, what is that? Like, how does that benefit? What is, I guess, what is it like, or where the headphones or a lot of kids with autism also have a diagnosis of sensory processing disorder. Um, or if they don't have like the official diagnosis, I, I personally have never met a child with autism who doesn't have some sort of sensory, maybe dysregulation. Um, they're either super sensory avoidant, like where they just avoid all of things or sensory seeking. Um, Eric is a little bit of both. Like he does wear the headphones exactly like you said, because the world is kind of just very overwhelming to him. He does not wear them at home very often. Sometimes if like Emery's being really loud or, you know, the TV's on really loud or something. Um, I always joke that like Eric is the loudest kid that doesn't like loud noises. Like he's so noisy, but, um, but yes, he wears the headphones. Like anytime we go out, um, he has the headphones on. And I heard, I heard once an autistic adult explain going into Walmart was like standing in front of a speaker at a rock concert. And um, she just said that like the overwhelming amount of stimulation from fluorescent lights to the noises, to the beeps at the checkouts, to the people, to the babies crying was so overwhelming. It was like, and it can be, it can be painful for them um, when they get so sensory overloaded. And so, yeah, he wears the headphones and um, if he doesn't have the headphones out in public, if we forget them, he plugs his ears. And so it's just easier for me to um, give him the chance to wear them. We never put them on him. We always just have them available. And so he has the choice to do that. Um, And yeah, when we lived in Idaho, we, (laughs) we bought this old house and in this house was an indoor hot tub room, which was like, so disgusting. <laughs> so, I don't even think I've ever heard of that. Crazy. And it was so funny because when we bought it, like the it was like a for sale, uh, whatever. I don't know if it's for sale by owner, but the owner, we somehow met the owner, and she was like so proud of it. And she was like, <laughs> it's functioning, but it was like so gross. So, anyways, we tore it out piece by piece, like sawzalled this old uh 1970s hot tub out of our house (laughs) and we built that hot tub room into a sensory room for him and so for Eric like he loves um anything he can like bounce swing all of those things like swinging is a super um important movement for him it really helps him regulate um bouncing trampolines all that kind of stuff and then he is very tactile sensory seeking so he loves things like 
um, sensory bins with like beans or rice or yeah. slime or all of those kind of things, kinetic sand. He loves all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, he's, he's also very sensory seeking in the um, like oral sensory. So he loves to chew on things. And so, you know, occasionally he'll have like um, just chewy sticks, kind of like a, like a teether for a baby, yeah. but um, something a lot tougher for, you know, an older child or adult. And um, it's, it's all, all of these things that they sense that they seek out. So these big sensory um, things that they seek out, it helps them regulate. And so, you know, what we might do as like somebody who doesn't struggle with that, if I'm like really overwhelmed, I can like go to a quiet room. I can take a few deep breaths. I can like lay down, turn the lights off or whatever it is. Um, he has to get it out with these huge sensory movements. And so when he is overwhelmed, um, you know, he likes to swing. He likes to do all those things. So he's yeah. very sensory seeking. It's so. like how he releases, right? Or like, yeah. So it's kind of how or... like his, his brain is kind of, it's kind of explained by his first occupational therapist. Like his brain is kind of up and down. I'm kind of making this like up and down motion all the time. So his whole brain is just like up and down all day when he like fulfills that sensory need, it kind mm -hmm. of regulates out a little. And for a time after he gets that sensory need met, um, his body just feels a lot more regulated and calm. And so um, a lot of times if I know we have like a big thing coming up or I know I'm gonna have to take him somewhere that's gonna be difficult, um, we try to get him on the swing and like, let's go swing before we have to go do this thing that's really hard or whatever. Yeah. Um, so you when, can tell a difference, like after he's yeah. like done something, he'll like kind of be more calm. For sure. Yeah, it does make a difference. And there's some days where I feel like, oh gosh, you know, he's so dysregulated, like none, nothing we do is meeting that need. Yeah. Um, but I can tell that um, most of the time, like we have found things that work for him. And so, yeah. um, you know, if you ever like uh, read or um, watch movies about Temple Grandin. Um, she like mm -hmm. she created a hug machine, and so I'll oh, I think I've you, heard of that. Yeah, like she's an incredible autism advocate. She's autistic herself, and she created a machine. I think she was like in like high school or college age that like would literally. She didn't like the feel of humans hugging her and touching her. She's very avoidant to uh, like that kind of, but she liked the sense of the pressure, and so she created this machine that like would give her pressure and anyway she's Wait, incredible if you haven't watched um her movie or read her book she's amazing so like would a weighted blanket be essentially like the same because I know like totally. I have yeah. a weighted blanket for anxiety I got right. one yeah I have weighted blankets. Yeah. I love them yeah you're so good like after you're just like oh totally. <laughs> I feel I so, so good yeah I weighted blanket um he has a crash pad that he can just like run it's just like this big five I don't know five foot by five foot pillow basically huge filled with foam that he can just run and jump into you know just like get that whatever it is that he needs from from that kind of thing but yeah he has a weighted blanket um he has like a weighted lap blanket so sometimes we'll put that on him he wears compression clothing so he has like tank tops and different things that are basically like like a really tight rash guard that he can wear under his clothes that give him like that compression without um having to like wear a weighted blanket all day you know he really loves that too so so it sounds like you guys have like I mean 
obviously it's going to be a learning thing all the time, but you guys have like figured out like what's working for you right now. Um, and obviously that can change over time. Right. Yeah. It ebbs and flows. Yeah. Um, what, what resources would you recommend to other people that are going through this since you've been like learning on the job type of stuff for yourself? You're basically like a pro now. (laughs) Sometimes I feel that way. And other times I'm like, Oh, did this just like, did I just start this yesterday? Mm -hmm. I feel so clueless. But, um, yeah, I think every state has, uh, developmental disabilities program of some sort. And I think that is where I would first recommend people start. Every state has it. Uh, and that's where, you know, you do, you have to fight for it. It is a full-time job, not a full-time job. It's a part-time mm-hmm. job. It's a lot of work to like fight for these resources. Um, but, but our kids are entitled to them. You know, they need the resources. We could have never built him a sensory room. Um, we were, you know, one year out of law school, basically, when we started that two years out of law school or whatever, um, we could have never done that without the funding from um, these programs, these developmental disabilities programs. And so that would probably be the first thing that um, where I would start. And, um, you know, technically, it's supposed to be like whatever level they're on um, is the amount of funding they get, right? Um, it doesn't always work that way. You, you do have to fight for it. Um, and, and a lot of people give up and I'm always like, don't give up, you know, don't, don't not do it. Cause it's hard because it is, it is worth it eventually. Um, there's also a lot of like the arc, I think is, um, kind of a nationwide organization for children and adults with like intellectual and developmental disabilities. And they're a really good resource, um, mm-hmm. especially for people right after they get a diagnosis, um, they I don't think at least I was never connected with one but now I know that a lot of these places have parent-to-parent coordinators and usually that is somebody who has a child who's um has a has a disability and kind of helps you navigate those those waters and kind of can tell you like this is where you go to apply this is how you do it and um and those those uh the process is exhausting because when you're applying for these um, these resources and these fundings, you know, you you answer the questions like I I answer the questions like Eric is on his worst day, and so they would tell me like um, if Eric was in a room by himself, can he do these things? You know, and it was like a hundred questions, and ninety nine percent of them were no, he can't do that on his own. You know, and so you just leave these assessments like feeling so like disheartened defeated yeah Yeah. just like oh my gosh but um but it's kind of a necessary evil you know it it helps them get the things they need because you know the ultimate goal is that he becomes as independent as he can and in order to do that you know you need you need help kind of like wrapping this up I guess my last question for you Nikki is like I guess what can we do you know all the time and what can we do like all the time as a community as a neighbor as a friend to kind of rally behind families or people that you know that have autism or or you know have autism themselves or that their family member has autism and like do you have any uh charities or organizations that you feel 
like passionately about because I would love to um especially like when we uh post like do this episode on like if you could give us that lady's um name for that book the yeah for sure yeah Yeah. like I guess Uh, like what can we like what would you like to see more of like us as people that may not that may not know somebody that has autism or sure so like what can we do more of so as Eric's mom my like ultimate hope for him is that people will just treat him with kindness and respect um I I would say that if there's anything that we can do or that people can do it's that you true you teach your kids and your people in your circle to be kind to people who are different. <clears throat> yeah. Um, Eric will not say hi back when you say hi to him, but the people who um, know my heart will talk to Eric directly and not talk about him, or, like not talk to me about him. Does that make sense? Like when my friends are over or I have family around, um, they, I want them to say hi to Eric. I want them to be kind to him. I want them to treat him just like they would Emery, you know, and that is the most important thing to me. And I think that um, kids who are different or have a disability, um, it can be intimidating, especially if we don't teach our kids to, you know, be accepting and to be kind. And so um, that that is what I would say. I would say to include people who are different, to say hi to people who are different or disabled, or you know, um, teach your kids to do that. And that's just something. I mean, kids are naturally pretty accepting. It's something that we learn just like being in society that we need to, you know, it's it's weird or different or whatever, so we avoid it. Um, that is just what I would say. Um, you know, he is not going to be able to go to a church activity or he is, you know, right now, he's not going to be able to participate in a birthday party. Um, but it means a lot when he's invited or it means a lot when those kids who see him at school, see us in the grocery store and they say hi to him. Um, and, and he notices, like I said, his receptive language is a lot higher than his ability to verbally communicate. I have a friend who has a little boy who waved hi at Eric the other day when we got to school. And he was like, hi, Eric, like from across the way. Um, She's a really good friend of mine and she has taught her kids to be kind. And um, Eric didn't say hi. He didn't wave back, but he started jumping and he was like super happy. And I know that he knew that um, that little boy was talking to him. And so um, that's what I would say. I don't know that I have like a, like a organization or a charity yeah say that if you have kids like school age or um you have any ability like to look into peer programs or volunteer for special olympics in your area or look for things um like that to be a part of so that you have exposure to people with different abilities that is the biggest and most important thing um as a mother that i would want for eric so that you know, the people who know Eric now 
he's not going to be the only autistic person that they come across. So hopefully they've learned to know that he's just like this amazing person who has different abilities and his disability, you know, at times is more obvious than others. But I hope in two years that when they meet somebody else who is autistic and is having a hard time, that they'll remember Eric and they'll be kind to that person. And, yeah. and then anything that, you know, um, I've done to talk about it or to advocate about it would be worth it. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah, I feel like that's just, it's hard. It's crazy to me. Just, you think that that's like a common sense type of thing. Like it's just common knowledge but I remember too and sorry this is probably me like prolonging the conversation (laughs) you're fine I think I think it was you that posted something about how you were either like in a parking lot or something and like you had dropped something because and Eric was having something going on and like nobody came and helped you was that yeah so yeah so we were I'm so sad yeah I was taking him into school and I don't, I don't post those things for people to be like, Oh, that poor mom, you know, or whatever, or probably, like I said, people are probably thinking like her life is so chaotic all the time. And I'm like, heck yeah, it is like, this is my life, you know, but no, Eric was having a hard day. He woke up super early that morning. And when we were trying, I was walking him into school, he dropped down. Um, I'm only five feet tall. Eric is four, two, and he is like crazy strong. Um, in fact, I started strength training, like weightlifting, Liz, I thought of you um, <laughs> when you said the other day that you guys uh, were weightlifters. And I was like, oh my gosh, I need to um, keep doing that. So anyway, we got a trainer because Eric is only getting bigger and stronger and I'm only getting older and not stronger. So, <laughs> so anyways, he dropped in the middle of this parking lot and in the process of him dropping, you know, kids like just go limp noodle. He dropped. And he threw his backpack and he threw his speech device and my keys went flying and my phone went flying. And we were like in the parking lot, you guys, like right in the parking lot. And um, I'm dropping him off at school. These, these people see me every day dropping him off and nobody stopped to help me. And um, he was like flailing and screaming and, and, you know, um, a kid who is on the level that Eric is at, like, when he goes into um, somewhat of a meltdown, like they can get pretty aggressive. Um, he can do some self-injury type behaviors um, and um, it can get pretty scary and it looks very scary. There's no doubt about that, but um, nobody stopped. And in fact, like a couple moms jumped over his backpack to get to their cars. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and like one mom like had her sunglasses up like this and like looked at me and then put her sunglasses down and like walked away and (laughs) I get it like I you know I couldn't even be mad probably what they were seeing was like pretty scary like Eric was hitting himself and different things it was it was scary but like at that moment I thought somebody could have stopped and asked if I needed help like I would hope that in that moment you know, and I'm sure that there's been times where I did not, I missed a chance to do that for somebody. Yeah. But um, I, I would hope that in that moment that the people in my circle who know Eric, um, that if somebody else experienced that in another moment, that they would say, what can I do to help? And yeah. I listed off in that post, like, these are the things I would have asked for. I would have asked somebody to go get his teacher to help me. I would have asked somebody to pick up my keys and my phone in the backpack and just gather it up, you know? 
yeah. or whatever, I would have asked somebody to to stand between me and the cars in case he ran off because he does run like and he he has no sense of um or understanding of danger so he could have ran into the place where the buses were going or back to the where the cars were getting dropped off and so it was very scary for me yeah um because it was a safety issue at that point you know and um anyways we got him into school and everything but but yeah my biggest thing is just like um it's okay to put yourself out there and to just say like, I'm here if you need me, like I'm right here if you need me. And I have such good friends who, you know, I can call, I had to call one of them today. My husband's out of town and I was like, I need your help. And she was there with her husband in like five minutes to help me with Eric. And I, I'm just so grateful for that. And so be that person. That's what I would say to anybody. So much more room for improvement in that area. And I get you because I am not like, I do not put myself out there socially. Like I have like my small group of friends. Um, that is just me. We always joke that like my husband met his friend quota with one, like he (laughs) is such an introvert. Like he has this friend he played racquetball with at BYU. And, uh, that is like his best friend. Anyways, we always joke about that, but I'm not one to put myself out there and I've just had to learn and, um, that it's okay. And the worst thing that someone could do in that situation is be like, I don't need help. Great. Then I feel like I've done my job, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, thanks so much for like coming on here and giving us a parent's perspective. Cause I think it also just helps like not only obviously to hear what a professional and their experience and what they think, but also to have a parent, like a parent's point of view and a POV. Yeah, yeah. Point of view. We're like the <laughs> the episode that's coming out before yours. We were talking about slang acronyms. Yeah. Oh, okay. And like, I don't know if you see like people that post like POV. I thought it meant person of value, like this entire time. So that's why she's like referencing. Oh my gosh. I can't even tell you how many times I've had to Google all of these things. Like oh, 100%. so many. And I'm like, wow, I am so old. I have no idea what that means. And I'll look it up and I'll be like, oh, well, that makes sense. But I guess that's what happens when you're like in your thirties. So <laughs> I don't know, but well, yeah, well, thank you for yeah. having me and giving me the chance. To it was talk great about hearing him. your story. So, I appreciate it. Yeah. It's hard. I think it's hard so to put yourself out there. I mean, I don't know, at least for me. Yeah, I mean, here I am doing a podcast, but it's hard to put myself <laughs> yeah. out there. No, but I think it's hard to put like personal stories out there. Like, like that are like true and hard, you know, like sure. we're talking about unpopular opinions and stuff like that. Like those are just like surface level. Stinky, yeah. Like, yeah. So like <laughs> I think, real heart wrenching things are different. Yeah. And I it's think, all important, like, right? The, yeah. the, the easy things to talk about and the hard things That's and true. it, it all has a purpose. It all balances out. So. But if I don't, if nobody talks for, for a child like Eric or an adult like Eric who may never learn to speak, you know, there's autism advocates who can speak for themselves, who can, um, you know, even though that may be a struggle, they can to somewhat, to some degree, advocate for themselves. Um, Eric deserves just as much to have his voice heard um, as best he can. And so I try my best to do that. And, you know, I hope someday he'll be able to tell me like, Hey, you did a really crappy job of that or thanks for saying being my voice or that's not really what I wanted but you tried your hardest you know yeah I don't know but um but he, his voice deserves to be heard and until he can do it himself you know I'm really grateful that 
I get to do that for him. So, well, it's been real and it's been good, and we're grateful to have you on. Yeah, yes, thanks for thank coming. You guys so much. I appreciate it.